Hello everybody and welcome to another fantastic, I think they're all fantastic, although I'm slightly biased, episode of the Sam's Report. It is yeah, getting close to the end of April. End of April. Oh, this month is flying by. Flying by, uh, which is somewhat of a good thing because there's a lot of good stuff on Microsoft's horizon, such as the media event in New York City in, uh, what, about 10 days, 11 or 10, 11 days or so. So we got that going on, uh, then we have Build going on, and then a few weeks after Build, we have E3, and it's just just a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff, don't get me wrong, I'm not complaining, uh, I'd rather have too many things going on than not enough, but a lot of good stuff. And so this week was, um, again, a little quiet, but not totally unexpected, we're, we're leading up into some big events for Microsoft, and so they, they tend to curtail some of their announcements, right? I mean, if they have enterprise stuff. They're going to try to leave that for build, uh, even though that's developer. They do development enterprise event uh, announcements generally there. And then they have this education thing coming here in about 10 days. And, uh, you know, they want those things to be feature packed and get tons of headlines. So they, they, they curtail it back. But that doesn't mean they're not going to give us some bones uh, to chew on because they announced what I consider to be a pretty big bombshell this week. And bombshell in a good way, right? Maybe I should call it like a confetti shell. Uh, because it's like, surprise, like here it is. Microsoft laid out the roadmap for Windows 10 that, that's going forward. It, it's, uh, it was a little up in the air, but if it was going to be one update a year, two updates a year, they've been going back and forth. We now know it's two updates a year, uh, one in the spring, one in the fall. It's going to happen every year. They're, they're committing the two updates from a, every year. Now, what I've, what I've heard is that it's going to be kind of, it, this isn't a perfect analogy, but like a tick and talk type cycle where one update is going to be larger than the other. I think what we're seeing this year is very reminiscent of that, uh, where the spring update is a little bit smaller and the fall update is going to be the larger one. And so I think that's actually going to stick with these updates. At least initially, that's sort of their plan. And that, what we also learned too is that Redstone 3 is coming in September. Now, Microsoft says September, but I don't really know if that actually means that it's going to be in September or if that's code completion in September. Because remember, uh, let's see, anniversary update was 1607, but actually, you know, six, the 7 in 1607 is July 16 being the year, actually arrived in August. And same with this last one is actually called 1703, 3 being March, but it actually arrived in April. Now, granted, the code and everything was completed in the months that they say. And so I'm wondering if it's actually going to be more of like an October release and that's how it's going to roll. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's it. I mean, that's crazy. And they're also going to align, align Office 365 Pro Plus uh, to the schedule. And so the question becomes, and I know I've talked about this a couple times because <laughs> I just interviewed a bunch of people and they said, hey, you know what? One update per year would be a lot better. And here we are, Microsoft officially committing to two updates and that's it. And that's the way they're going to run. And for now in the foreseeable future, we're getting two feature updates a year, which is, I have mixed opinions on because there's a lot of testing and that's a lot of stress and a lot of, um, they got to execute really, really quick and efficiently. And Microsoft doesn't have the best track record of doing that. Although they are getting better, it's still not perfect. So uh, annual cycles, I'd still be more in favor of, but here we are with, uh, they're going to be doing it twice a year and they're really going to be depending on these, on insiders like myself and probably everybody listening here to really hammer test these things out because they don't have a lot of, uh, they don't have a lot of downtime. If you think about it, you probably have about four months of kind of development-ish. They're roughly spaced six months apart. No surprise uh, if they're doing two a year. So you've got three to four months of development time 
and then you've got three months ish because it's going to overlap and all this other stuff um i mean you're going to see breath that doesn't add up to, to six but you've got three to four months of that and then probably three months of really good testing maybe two months of button creation and then you're shipping like that's there, there's not a lot of room for deep triage uh issues so now granted they're not in theory, they're not making huge generation leaps with each update, so there shouldn't be too many things that are breaking. But, you know, we, we don't really know, and things are... Uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm going to be real curious to see if Microsoft, how long Microsoft sticks to this commitment. And, of course, the other thing that comes about is, is hey, does this mean Windows 10 Mobile is getting two updates per year? <sighs> um, okay, so I, I am of the firm conviction that Windows 10 Mobile is a dead platform it, it's it's pointing towards a dead end with this feature two update and you're gonna say ah that that means it's over um god my allergies just started to kind of kick on i don't think that's actually the case that mobile is dead but if you look at what they've done they have kind of they've killed off hardware and all the existing hardware i know this isn't a perfect scenario but at least microsoft based hardware the elite x3 is kind of the the glaring uh issue here is that that it, they're going to stop updating it right it's going to get this feature two i think maybe feature three i would be i'd be surprised and they're going to move this to windows on arm now if you read their post carefully they called it this is making things closer to their one core initiative and if you think about it when they announced that hey we're going to this feature two stuff it's going to be related to one core that doesn't really sound right it's like why would you have uh these old redstone builds on the old stuff it is on the older phones and then you're, you're calling it one core um, a one core initiative. I honestly think that the one core initiative is the Windows on ARM stuff. That that's the new. It's going to be Windows 10 on mobile uh, versus Windows 10 mobile, and everything is going to be Windows 10, and Windows 10 will run on ARM and Intel and everything else. And that seems to fit their narrative when they come back and say, "Look, we told you guys this is one core initiative, and this is how we're going to do it. We're going to get mobile phones on the same exact same shipping code as desktops, and they're just going to call mobile devices because remember, like eSIMs are coming around, so you could have a small device that's this size running Windows 10 on ARM on mobile, and that fits that one core narrative. I honestly think that's what they're doing here. And if you have a 950 or an HP Elite X3, I don't think it's going to move to that next, uh, to that Windows on ARM. I really don't believe that in any capacity. I'd love to be wrong, but I don't think that's going to happen because I think the one core is ARM and Intel and Microsoft is moving that path and mobile doesn't really fit that narrative or that reasoning. Why would they invest money into that anymore? They're not making money on mobile. Let's not, let's not beat around the bush. They lost like, was it like 13 cents, which doesn't sound like a lot of money, but every time you sell a phone, you're, you're losing dollars or pennies. That's not a, that's not a sustainable product, which means that every phone that's out there that they're now supporting, they lost money on when they sold it. And so it's, it's not a good business model and it's hard to justify internally. And I honestly think they said, we're going to kill the hardware, let this thing kind of run its life. And then we're going to transition again, much like they did for Windows Phone 7.8, uh, Windows RT uh, 8.1, that update that brought the start menu back and everything else. So that is where I think mobile is headed and uh, how, how they're going to tell us this, I don't quite know. But that's, that's what I think they're going to announce, this eSIM platform, uh, Windows ARM. We already know supports that. And they're going to say, look, we'll sell a mobile device that connects to cell towers. You pick the you pick whatever, the network, and there you go. So, oh, 
we will see. We will see. That's going to be really, really, really interesting to see how they... <laughs> I'm a big person of narratives and how they're actually going to execute that without just lighting the bridge on fire, which they've done with... Well, they're good at burning bridges down some of the ones that they've built. So, um, we will see. We will see here. This is going to be... I don't know if they're going to do it a build. That's what I'm trying to, that's what I'm wrapping my brain around is like, is build too early to do this? Are they going to have another event? I don't quite know. I'd be curious to see what other people think if this is actually going to happen at build. It might because they've got to, they've got to give developers a reason to continue to build UWP apps. The right once run everywhere narrative doesn't work anymore when you don't have everywhere. You have just right once run once somewhere. So, uh. We will see. I, I'm very curious to see if they're actually, now that I'm thinking, I'm quite literally thinking out loud, which is never good to do, but I'm really curious to see if they're actually going to talk about this at Bill, because the UWP narrative is falling apart with the end of mobile and an unclear path for these things. You can say, yes, it'll run back here and it'll run on HoloLens, but people aren't really writing apps for Xbox One. That's, that's, I don't want to call it a myth, but it, it, you write games for this thing. Uh, you can say HoloLens again, can run on HoloLens. Okay, that's fair, but HoloLens again is not a consumer shipping product. It's still a development product. It's still very small. Okay, so then you switch it to uh, VR AR. It can run there, but even that that hasn't taken off. We don't even know if that market really exists besides uh, besides enthusiasts. So it's it's right once run on the desktop that everywhere is no longer really a, a, a deciding factor and things with like progressive web apps coming to browsers and all that good stuff. What's the UWP narrative that's going to get people to buy in? That's, that's the question that I'm, I'm looking for Microsoft to answer. So, uh, that is, if you're things that are watching for build, what's the UWP narrative? What's the store narrative? What's the mobile narrative? Those are the big three things that are really up in the air that, um, that are, are, are not so good in the Microsoft ecosystem. So we will go with that. That's, uh, if you're building a build bingo, that's not really a bingo sheet because I don't, <laughs> we'll see if they say anything at all. If they just say we have great momentum, it's done. That's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it is. But speaking of Redstone 3, Microsoft did ship a third insider build this week. And the only thing that really contained is this power throttling stuff. But we'd already seen some of that in Redstone 2. Obviously, they deleted Redstone 3. That looks like that's actually going to make it in here. And it also allows uh, what I like to call neutering of background tasks. It gives you more fine-grained control of what apps do in the background, which is good. I like that. Uh, <laughs> funny thing is, where you could use that information or that the most, the most benefit to neutering background tasks are obviously laptops and mobile phones. And Microsoft hasn't brought it to their mobile phone platform, which is, again, why I think they are completely shifting to a mobile a Windows 10 on mobile as opposed to a Windows 10 mobile strategy, if that makes sense. I know it, it's 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 really in the details because it used to be called Windows Phone. Well, actually, it was called Windows Mobile, like Windows Mobile 6.5. Then it was called Windows Phone. Windows Phone. Now it's called Windows 10 Mobile. And then we'll probably end up with Windows 10 on mobile or something similar. If you're new to the Microsoft world or this ecosystem, like, good luck. Cause it's it's a it's a spaghetti factory of words that have just been swapped around over the years, but are completely different platforms depending on the time era that you're talking about. Anyways, so that new build is out. Go grab it or whatever. Uh, Microsoft is killing uh, Wonderlist. Makes you kind of wonder why they bought them, but they're doing it. And I actually somewhat agree with this. They're building Microsoft, what they call Microsoft to do. And it's going to tie into everything like Outlook tasks and Office 365. And you don't need an Office 365 account to use Microsoft to do. And I would assume that it's going to tie into Cortana and it's going to be their global 
uh, to, to do app list. And so they bought Wonderlist uh, June 2015, and they had 13 million users, and Wonderlist is dead. The brand is dead. I'm assuming that at this point they're going to pitch it as, hey, it was an acquisition uh, hire, but there you go. Uh, to do seems good. I, I think I, I'm guilty of this as well. I got cut up a little bit too early in what it wasn't and not so much where it's headed. And so it's, uh, it, it's going the right direction. I think Microsoft is taking the correct approach with this. And I don't really have any major issues. Just hope that it kind of materializes quicker than um, some of their other products. But I do believe that they are headed in the right direction. Uh, fun screw up on Microsoft's issue and uh, Xbox Fan Fest tickets. They started issuing them and the first day and then they realized uh, they were all had to void all the first day tickets. The ticketing system, blah, 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 blah. I took very terrible notes on this. But there was a problem with the registration t system and all the first day tickets had to be void. And it was just kind of like a big oopsies or whatever. Big oopsies or whatever. Uh, other fun things that were secretly, not secretly, that's a terrible word to use, quietly announced, depending on where you're coming from, coming from, uh, reported by Seeking Alpha. I think they were the first to grab it. It said Qualcomm is going to deliver its first Windows 10 PCs with ARM chips in Q4. Microsoft had previously said second half of 2017. And so... Here we are, uh, Qualcomm saying it's going to be Q4, holiday shopping season, Windows on ARM. I think that's going to be it. And I think it kind of plays into this narrative of Windows on ARM for phones. I don't know. I don't I don't want to, please don't interpret that as Surface Phone coming Q4. I don't, and I haven't heard that and I don't believe that. Uh, but that's that's going to be big. That's going to be a lot of pressure on Intel. And we'll, we'll see how this plays out. So uh, other things that kind of popped into my head this week. So Microsoft's got this big education initiative going on. Well, I shouldn't say going on. They're actually holding like an online Twitter event. I think was it this week or maybe next week. And then they are, they're having the event in New York City. And so here's the thing with Windows 10 cloud and education. Um, here's what you need to know. This is kind of my my viewpoint, and I started to talk about this a little bit on Twitter. If Microsoft wants to win in the education market, they have to turn the teacher, not not the IT admin, not anybody else, but the teacher into an IT pro, meaning that they can triage and reset and fix these machines in classrooms. When, when you have a student whose computer doesn't work, they can't log in, they can't get the app open, it's crashing, they need to be able to fix that. They don't have time to call in and say, God, we have a broken computer, can you come fix it? it, it Saying things shouldn't break is not logical. Everything breaks, right? Keyboards break, that kind of stuff. I'm talking about on the software side, the teacher has to become the IT pro in the classroom and there needs to be a complete reset button. Um, there is software that does this. It's third party. It's like a deep freeze stuff where you reset. Where you, like every time you reset the computer, it completely re-images or resets it back to its factory settings or whatever you define. Uh, that has to be built into Windows 10 Cloud. I'm, I'm convinced of this because students are very crafty and will figure out ways to break things the so through the software, regardless if it was previously thought possible. They, it happens. It happens every time. It happens with iPads. They'll delete stuff. They'll move it around or whatever. And the teacher has to be able to triage and fix this stuff in the classroom in minutes because calling in uh, tech support is not an option. Because if you know anything about the teaching world, uh, time is very pressed because between doing grades, issuing ex exams, uh, standardized testing, you don't have time to sit there every week and spend an hour fixing computers. Like that, that's just not an option. 
And so if Microsoft wants to win in the cloud, and this is what I'm going to be watching for at the event, is how are they going to make the software bulletproof so that teachers, not IT admins, but teachers can can manage the environment in their classroom. That's that's the key here, folks. And I, I very much believe that if they can figure out that solution, then they'll be okay. But if they don't have a great answer for that, I'll be very curious to see how they expect to win. Uh, because one of the reasons I think Chromebooks do well, obviously the price point is one thing, but Microsoft and its partners can match the price point. So ignore price point because that can be neutralized. The reason I think Chromebooks work well is that it's primarily just a browser. And when things run in the browser, it's harder for an, uh, a student to screw up something that's a web app or on a remote server, right? Uh, anything that's run locally has a much bigger issue with or potential for being screwed up. And so the nice thing about a Chromebook is, is that it, it's very simple just to reset it, right? And for a teacher, they know that if they just reset this thing, it's right back to where it was and that it should work. And that's what Windows needs. It needs that lightweight ability for a teacher to manage this environment. And so... Uh, that is what I'm going to be looking for extensively here at this, uh, at this Windows, Windows 10 education event, because if they just come out, if Microsoft just comes out and says, Hey, it's, it's basically going to sit there and it's only going to use, uh, modern apps and you can't install third party, uh, or .exe stuff. I don't, I don't honestly think that that's enough. I don't think that that's enough. And so it, it's how are they going to go that extra mile? What's going to be, what's going to be the differentiator? Uh, what's the differentiator that's going to make this work as opposed to Chrome? Because if it's just a browser or lightweight thing, that's not enough. Um, it's the same thing why Edge hasn't topped Chrome. Like being comparable or being equal to is not enough. You need a reason why you're winning. And so there you go. Uh, I'd be very curious to see what people, other people think about this. And how Microsoft can actually win in the education, knowing from that vantage point. If you have any good ideas, I'd, I'd love to hear. And I'm probably going to write this up next week. Uh, and I would love any other vantage point about how this could, how Microsoft could differentiate from Chrome OS or, or even Mac OS or even iOS at this point to make Windows Cloud or whatever they're going to call it actually work in that environment. It, it's a very perplexing problem where simplicity rules uh, in almost all accounts because teachers are not. We were chatting about this on Twitter. Some teachers have struggled just getting the projector to work, right? And so Microsoft needs these t same teachers to be able to manage the, the 20 or 30 laptops in a classroom. Not an easy task. Not an easy task. So there you go. There you go. All right. We are going to dive into the questions this week because there's some really good ones. So let's see. Uh, Michael Martinez asked, and I think he actually kicked some of this off because I read some of these ahead of time. Uh, but he, he asked a pretty good question, which I think kind of got me onto this uh, topic here. He says, looking at the creator's update, new features with new features like books in the store and 3D paint already playing into the hands of the education market. What, yep, and this is, what additional features do you believe Windows 10 Cloud to get education, uh, the education market on board? And I think we just drilled this home. And actually, I think Michael, because uh, he kind of kicked this little, Twitter thing off in my head and so I think it's just that ability for a teacher to have a single button refresh ability that resets the OS and fixes everything and I mean everything uh, we always say hey, first step is restart it no the first step should be you hit the start menu teacher punches in like her four digit pin and without restarting the image the machine is just completely refreshed right there in front of the student's eyes in seconds absolutely in seconds 
the IT guy asks, he says, do you think that the insider program has made Microsoft almost too approachable in the sense fans seem to forget that Microsoft is a multinational corporation that works for its own interest? This seems especially prevalent on the Windows 10 mobile fans who take Microsoft's moves to kill the platform as personal slights against them. So this is, I don't know if I'd say that this is an issue with uh, the insider program, I mean, it's certainly helping that narrative that you just pitched, but social media has made it extremely easy to approach any company. Like, look what Wendy's is doing with this chicken nugget stuff. That never would have happened pre-Twitter uh, or Facebook or anything like that. I think social media plays into it, but you're exactly right. People forget that Microsoft is in business to make money. And when they have products that aren't making money, they're going to do drastic things to make them to have them make money or get them off as a liability. Now, they're not going to intentionally hurt themselves for the long term, but mobile has been a consistent source spot where they're not making money. They don't have a good path to make money. And so people are getting really upset, but they're buying in uh, their early adopters. Anytime you buy a, when a Lumia at this, at this point, especially today, you're still an early adopter. And if you go buy the next phone or whatever Windows on ARM stuff, you're still an early adopter. Just this week, a company called Plastic that was supposed to make a credit card that had that could store digitally like 10 or 20 of them. And it was a Kickstarter and they raised $9 million, completely went bankrupt. This is sort of Microsoft's Windows Mobile thing. They have all this stuff and their platform has gone bankrupt. And people are expecting Microsoft to support them. And they're not going to because there's no business case to do it as of right now for the existing devices. If Microsoft spun out Windows 10 Mobile into its own company, it would be bankrupt within days. And so they have to figure out how to get this product on a path to profitability. And that means burning bridges. So uh, as Gardner, point, Gardner Von Holt points out, says, Brad, not making money on the hardware OS, but they are in apps. I don't know if they're making a lot of money in apps. Um, yes, I, I get what your point is. Anytime you buy an app, they get a percentage of that. But on mobile, I don't know how many people are really building premium apps that are allowing them to recoup the cost. Because remember, just because they sold an app doesn't mean they made money. They have to host that. And granted, they have all that infrastructure in its place and it's just sitting out there. But again, their service is related to that. People have to approve these apps. They all have overhead. And it, it's not it's not as clear cut as, oh, they sold an app, they made money. They might have made revenue, but they have a lot of overhead to manage a store and a mobile platform. So uh, keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Uh, so D Nation Senior says, what is a beam machine Don and them are talking about presenting next week? Uh, a beam machine is uh, is a podcasting machine. Like this is a podcasting computer that Microsoft obviously purchased beam and they, they built a computer to stream all their stuff to beam. And so that's what they refer to as beam machine. Uh, GJ Smith asks a couple questions here. He says, does the Surface Studio change to tablet mode automatically when it's folded down flat? No, it doesn't. Um, I don't. No, it, it, it doesn't um, it doesn't even prompt for it. Now, I don't know if that's because that's a sync setting that I have that turned off. Uh, but no, it does not. Um, no, it's interesting, actually. Uh, he also asks, he says, what is your take on the new fork branch of Windows 10 Insider on it? Is this a maintenance mode? Yes, I honestly think this is a maintenance mode. They're going to give some new features to that stuff, maybe some visual enhancements or whatever to make those people feel good. But I think it's heading down a road less traveled. And he, his other question is, what comes after RS3, RS4, or a new codename? So RS4 is already in documentation. I've seen it before. Uh, RS4 exists. Redstone is just the, the brand name that they're using for these Windows 10 updates. They could re-change it at any time, but I don't think they're going to... I don't know. I, this is some speculation. I don't think they're going to change Redstone 
until uh, it's some sort of major shift in Windows. So then they'll they'll change it. But for now, they're still calling it Redstone. I've even briefly heard the word Redstone 5 dropped. you got to remember, I honestly think at this point, Redstone 3 is probably, from a planning perspective, is probably just about done, right? They said, this is what Redstone 3 is going to be, and now we have to go build it. And so, because if they're launching in September, they've got like three to four months to build this stuff, and then they have to be beta testing, and then they have to ship it. So they don't have much time left for planning. And so I would imagine, uh, actually, I'm pretty, getting pretty confident that they're getting close to having most of RS3 spec'd out, and they will soon be moving to RS4 specs from... Uh, you know, a 10,000 foot view. And Poncilius asks, he says, what is the upcoming, with the upcoming third reboot of Windows Phone or Windows Mobile, isn't the app gap going to continue with no developer interest in UWP? Um, yeah, the app gap is not closing. Like there was a time where people were thinking, and I admit it, like Microsoft was getting some good apps into the store, but with mobile in this iffy wish-wash world, um, the app, gap, the app gap is going to be a perpetual problem with Microsoft until we move to progressive web apps and everything just runs truly in a browser. So I don't quite know how they're going to narrow that with their unclear statements at this point. Like, how could you go to uh, Facebook or Twitter and say, you know what, build your best mobile app because we're doing mobile stuff, but they haven't come publicly out with it. And so people aren't really buying this hardware, mostly because there's not there's not broadly available hardware to get. I was, I was about to say there's not good any good hardware, but the HP Elite X3 is good hardware. It's just not broadly available. Like you can't walk into Verizon or AT&T. I don't think you can walk into AT&T and buy. You have to go through the Microsoft Store or directly to HP. So, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff how Microsoft's narrative about mobile is going to evolve and I think we're this I think we're in another Windows. I think we're in another Windows Phone 7.8. Uh, path and there you go so uh tip of the week this guys i would love to know your feedback i know this isn't really a tip but i'd love to know your feedback of what makes cloud different than chrome os and how they could actually do this stuff and actually get some uh claw back some market share or just maintain market share so with that guys i'm not going to drag it on mostly because my allergies are starting to kill me i don't know what uh i know a cold front came through but jesus man like i just i bet if you went back and listened to the beginning of the show until the end like i got progressively more congested during the show but uh anyways guys have yourselves a great weekend i think next week will be interesting hopefully we'll start to hear some more about the stuff going on and thanks for tuning in guys catch you next week